What's shaking, cats and kittens? Rob Lee here for this month's presenting sponsor, Night Owl Gallery. Night Owl Gallery is an intimate, artist-run exhibition space showcasing the original paintings and fine art prints of Beth Ann Wilson. Also, it features curated goods from local artists and craftsmen. You'll be sure to find one-of-a-kind gifts, handcrafted jewelry, home decor items, along with a few vintage treasures. Located in the rear of 248 South Conklin Street in Highland Town, across from Sally O's, Night Owl Gallery is a unique space that brings together Wilson's love of the arts, community, and culture. Additionally, Night Owl Gallery hosts an array of arts and crafts workshops throughout the year and participates in community events, many of which are free and open to the public. So in this ever-changing world, safety is their priority. So feel free to join them and hit them up online at www.nightowl.gallery. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and this is on MTR Podcast. Today's guest is a self-taught machinist and sculptor who produces beautiful art using machining and multiple materials. Please welcome Chris Bathgate to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Um, sure. You know, definitely when, when I get a referral from a guest and they're like, no, no, you think I would do good stuff. You need to check out this person. And then you were super receptive. I, I have your book here. Part of you and an extension of you is in my studio. So um, if you will describe your work and, and your background for those who are uninitiated. Uh, okay, sure. Um... I guess for starters, uh, I'm a self-taught machinist uh, and uh, art school dropout is, is the way I, I like to frame it. Um, so when we say self-taught machinist and sculptor, it's because I, I sort of, you know, I got my, I, I grew up in Baltimore. I attended a, a public arts high school in Towson called Carver Center. Um, and then I went to MICA um, uh, for, to, I wanted to be an artist and I was going to go to, to college and learn how to be an artist. And, and that didn't uh, work out remotely as I planned <laughs> it. So I ended up actually dropping out. Um, and that's a very long and complicated story. But from there, I, I, uh, I, was, I was just very interested in learning um, technical skills, skill building, how to build things. And that very quickly led me into um, metalwork and machine work and uh, collecting tools and learning how to use them. So um, for those, uh, those who aren't familiar with what machine work is or what machining is, um, the simplest answer is, uh, the, is, is the sort of uh, reductive removal of materials such most primarily metal using um, a couple of uh, uh, primary processes of milling, drilling, turning, um, sort of like cutting tools and things like that. But, but you know, more complicated than that is um, there's sort of an industrial processes used for making almost everything you can think of like car parts, airplanes. It's, it's sort of when you see pictures of, of how NASA is building the Rover, that, that kind of uh, tooling and equipment for making utilitarian goods. But I approach those tools um, to make sculpture, to sure. make art. So, Tell, tell us about the, the process a little bit more um, and what drew you to this medium versus like, like others. Like we, we talked a little bit beforehand, I believe a certain metal was besmirched as being essentially ceramic. <laughs> so, so what drew you to, I guess, the materials that you're working with and, and tell us about that process, maybe from that selection standpoint or that kind of like, like what does it, what does it look like in, I guess, simple terms? Um, 
I think, um, hmm, let me think about that for a second. Sure. Um, I, I guess what drew me to that process or, or how I found myself in, in getting involved in um, machine work is, is really the story of, of like, as I started uh, dropping out of art school, um, you know, I was very interested in, in, you know, I, when I dropped out of art school, it wasn't because I didn't want to be an artist. It's because I was frustrated um, that I wasn't getting the sort of technical skills that I, I wanted to build things. I had things in my head I wanted to build and I wasn't learning them in a, uh, in a critique environment where we're sure. just talking about conceptual ideas. I, I, I wanted to build things and I didn't have the actual, you know, technical assets to build them. Um, and so when I uh, started building my own studio, I just quickly realized that I have to sort of acquire equipment and learn how to use it myself. And, and that sort of became this sort of um, like lifelong love of, of learning kind of grew out of that because uh, I had this, these ideas in my head that I wanted to make and I had these, um, you know, the, the energy because I was young, but I didn't have the, the knowledge. And so um, you know, I just started consuming literature about metalworking and um, uh, just different sort of fabrication methods. I started out uh, just doing welding, but it quickly um, escalated into very technical pieces of equipment and machine tools and acquiring milling machines. And um, from there, I started um, building my own uh, computer operated equipment because I was I was. I was broke. I mean, I'm an artist, so, you know, I was broke and uh, I, I had these tools I wanted to fold into my practice, but I didn't have the means to buy them. So I had to build them. And so I started scavenging uh, uh, manufacturing forums and talking to anyone who would listen or, or answer my questions and, and sort of, uh, I, and I just happened to be doing this in the early 2000s when there was sort of this like perfect storm of, um, the, you know, the evolution of the internet, the beginning of the maker movement, yeah. um, access the uh, off the shelf uh, sort of like motion technology, like um, cheap electronics from China and uh, that sort of thing where, where I actually could have afford to sort of buy all this import equipment and, and cobble together an actual working robotic machine tool. Uh, nowadays, if you just go on uh, <laughs> YouTube, you can simply Google like how to make a CNC milling machine and like someone will show you exactly where to buy it and how to put it together and you can do it like in a in a month. Um, but uh, in early 2000, it was definitely like a, a different beast. And but but all of that uh, along the way sort of informed my aesthetic and my approach to sculpture, which is that um, you know, I, I sort of have this very formalistic approach to my material. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it sort of antiseptically of, of what sort of forms and shapes that it's good for. But at the same time, I, it's always uh, a pretext for learning something new. So yeah. I, I, I am, you know, with each sculpture, I, there's normally, I'm sneaking in some sort of skill building exercise or some sort of little in, in intellectual thing to keep me interested, to keep me involved into in growing as a as as a craftsman and as an artist that's legit um I, I was getting that off of you when you were describing like this is an opportunity to learn something and i think especially with the that that point when you got into it it's like you got to learn these things and once you get to a spot it's like i know what my thing is now i know how i'm going to go about this from the most foundational way now how can i increase that degree of difficulty because i believe that that's what keeps us interested like 
for my day job, I'm not a huge fan of certain elements of it, but if I can do something to make it really hard and then make myself dig a way out of it, it's like, now I have another route to get back home. And that's my approach to um, podcasting too, where I always look at it like I'll go to a studio and may not be my studio. I know what's in my studio. I know how to set everything up, but sometimes I may try to say, all right, let me not say, I'm going to exclude this word from my you know, lexicon for this particular podcast. Or if I'm out of my space, I have to go to someone else's. They may not have everything I need. It's like, all right, how can I MacGyver this shit? That, that's, that's the thing, you know? And I think that's the thing that really keeps you interested. So I pick up what you're uh, putting down there. I, I guess, I, I mean, I've sort of had this habit of whatever, you know, whenever I would, you know, when I was younger, when I get into something, I would learn it. Um, and I would get, you know, really, and I think a lot of people have this experience. Like you just get, you just get really into something and you learn everything you can about it. And then you know everything about it. And all of a sudden you're, you're just sort of, okay, I'm bored now. What can I do <laughs> right. next? And, uh, you know, luckily machine work is, is one of these just rare things. Um, it's, it's a very holistic craft. It touches literally everything. Like there's nothing you can touch in your room or my room um, unless you have some very primitive pottery that hasn't been um, on something that is either directly uh, manipulated by machine tools or on another piece of equipment that has been made with machine tools. Uh, there's just, it, it literally touches everything. And as you learn about that process, you learn about um, physics, you learn mm -hmm. about engineering, you learn about um, electronics, you learn about chemistry, you learn, you know, you just, it touches all these other spheres of knowledge. And it's this never ending, like rabbit hole of constant okay. new, new things to learn. And I've been, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years. And, and there's just no, there's just no end to it. There's always something more to learn. It's just that, that deep of a field. And, um, and so uh, it's just, I've never gotten bored with it. I've never outgrown it. Like so many other things I've sort of taken on in my life. And I've, you know, find that very refreshing and fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, I like self-taught podcasting, audio engineer and all of that stuff. And been doing it for almost 13 years in February. And it's one of those things where you can know the technical aspects about recording audio, but then you can learn something in editing or you can learn something in how to conduct an interview or which apparently I'm terrible at, or, <laughs> or I, I, I can't notice if you, <laughs> or you, but you're learning all of these different things, even when it comes to like public speaking, or I've been taking like little acting lessons here and there, just different things that you can take from to ultimately build into what you're doing. And that makes it that much interesting and that much re more rewarding because those skills, as they say in the job world, right, is, oh, they're transferable. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm the one that has to seek these things out and be interested in them. The same as I'm, I'm hearing from you. So when when I when I see your images, uh, especially in, in your book, uh, Chris Bathier, the uh, machine sculptor, I, I think of um, drawings of like otherworldly Philip K. Dick sci-fi weapons or even like stuff like Men in Black and like really that's, the, that's I can't get it out of my head. Like that's that's the way I kind of kind of see it. And it has this like shininess that's like almost what, do you remember the uh, Lost City Diner like in, in Baltimore? That's in a station north and they have like all of this stuff, like fifties, like era comics. So like, the, okay. the yeah, yeah. Are, so that's kind of what I see. And I don't, I don't know if you've heard it before, but what 
if any, like they really pop out, memorable responses have you had to your work, to whether seeing it in in your book, whether seeing it online on your website or seeing it in, in person, what kind of memorable responses come to mind for you? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, your reaction to my work isn't, um, it's not, it's not wrong. It's not abnormal. Um, I, I, I guess I try to couch, you know, my, in my response to say that, you know, machine work is one of these things that, um, it's been around for a couple centuries, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tied, you know, it's, it's dominance in our society is tied to the industrial revolution. And out of that grew, um, you know, the golden age of science fiction, ray gun gothic and all of and art deco and all of that yeah. stuff is, is a direct reaction to this these tools and these this technology and and when you think of the you know the golden age of, of science fiction um all of the props all of the stuff it, it's just repurposed industrial detritive like smashed together spray painted silver yeah <laughs> and so the aesthetic of my process is 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 you know deeply tied to science fiction aesthetic um, it's deeply tied <laughs> to, um, you know, it, what, what you're, you're basically thinking about rudimentary forms you can make using these tools and equipment. You, you're you're in that you're in that world. But uh, my approach to my work is, is is a very sort of engineering approach. And how can I um, design and build a, a, a sculpture? It would be it mechanical or be it purely aesthetic um, in in four dimensions because. Um, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to describe, but when you're making uh, a shape or making a, a part, you have to really think about the order of processes that you're going to apply to to make that final form. Because you, you basically just start with a hunk of metal and you have to carve it down, but you have to hold it very tightly in to cut metal. And so you have to, you know, fixture it. You have to think about um, which features you make first and which features you make second. So you really just... Um, you start with a, a visual concept, but you have to work backwards okay. uh, yeah. a, as an engineer to, to make that object. And, and so there's a, there's a whole lot of push and pull in there with, with, you know, um, competing interests of, of logistics and visual nature. And so I don't concern myself with the uh, sci-fi aesthetic thing yeah. too much. Um, I think what's interesting to me is to sort of, lean on implied functionality and that sort of has its own sort of loaded um, potential for fiction but i'm not interested in creating fiction um and so that, that's that's my response to to your take on it but i, I would say the you know I think a lot of people tend to just bring themselves to the work because it is abstract it is sort of this non-committal formalism and so some people when they look at it they, they see science fiction other people see engineering principles if you put my work in front of a physicist they're just gonna uh just riff on and on about you know what sort of uh you know you know i i went to a um uh i did a show at the national academy of uh of uh of physics down in dc i don't I, I probably said that wrong um but you know all the physicists came to me like do you know what the magnetic field of this object would be um and they they just see it through their world view yeah. and i think the work you know i intentionally like sort of keep things nebulous so that that can happen because i actually learn a lot from other people that way and and it helps change my um 
my perspective on on some of the pieces that I've made. And other people just, you know, they they see jewelry making and they see, um, you know, architecture or, or, and other things. So there's there's just a lot there when you're working with sort of geometry and mathematics and engineering. I think it's just there's so much overlap. Yeah. You can you can sort of push it through any lens you want and it's and it works. And, and I think that's more interesting than saying exactly what it should be. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's that's legit. That's legit. Okay. Absolutely. No, no, no. Because, um, yeah, because I, I didn't want to feel like I, I didn't want to sound like I was just, oh, yeah, it's sci fi stuff. Yeah. But no, um, I mean, there's I mean, there's there's totally like, you know, it's you know, I had a, a collector uh, tell me, you know, this is steampunk and you should educate yourself because that's what it is. And uh, and I was just like, oh, well, thank you for your opinion. <laughs> I think that I think um, it's, it's, I think I know I think I know what it is, but OK, <laughs> I think it's like part of like it's this and all of these other things, depending on, as you, yeah. as you said, where you're viewing it. Like, yeah. And very frequently, it, yeah. is it this or is it this? And the answer is yes. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so let's talk about um, creative blocks a little bit. See, I slid this one in there because while you weren't looking, I slid this one oh, in. Uh, how, how do you deal with creative blocks or do you encounter those? And because I, I, I would imagine everyone has a, different view especially in talking to you're you're probably one of the more unique people i've talked to I, first time i've talked to a machinist um but how do you deal with creative blocks um i i, I guess methodically uh, i don't know if if that's if that makes sense um I, I think every artist experiences this when you finish, you, you worked on something for three months and you, you know, and you just like, okay, that was the last good idea I'm ever going to have. Uh -huh. um, but I, you know, I go back to the, the sort of the, the beginning at the beginning of this conversation where I'm, I'm always trying to learn something new. So if I really do find myself stuck, um, I can always just lean on that mm. and sit back and, and just be like, well, well, you know, what am I missing? There's obviously something I could, you know, pour if I, if I don't have any good creative ideas, what's something I can learn. Yeah. Uh, and very quickly you get yourself involved in, in a, in a, some, you know, little task like that. And the ideas just kind of come back out. And I think, uh, it's big, it's worked very well for me. Um, and I always tend to have like four or five ideas kind of cooking, yeah. um, because I get, so far with something and I just can't move it forward anymore. So I just set it aside. And so it also helps to have like a couple of projects that are in different stages. Yeah. And um, I, I, you know, um, I, I had a surgery a couple months ago and, and I had a lot of downtime and, and I thought, okay, well, this is the time I'm going to work on this, this big drawing I've been working on forever. And um, I sat down and I started working on it. It just, it wasn't going, it wasn't going anywhere. Like I just couldn't, you can't force it. So I just set that aside and I just let myself do it a little bit. And the next thing I know, uh, the rest of my plans for the year have changed and I'm making something else. And, and, and that's, I think that's a good approach too, to just change directions, work on something else. No, that's again, that's, that's legit. And I don't want to continue, but I, making the, uh, the comparison, but I think from a standpoint of artists and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, like I, you know, this is not the only thing that I'm doing. So going to your, your point about having things in different stages, if 
let's say if this is going slow and I have a few bad interviews and it's like, damn, am I, am I bad at this or have you? And I, I might go into doing more of the movie review podcast that I do or more of the comedy podcast that I do. And that kind of serves it. Um, like I'm, it, it, I'm actively doing it, you know, and, or even if it's like the pursuit of doing something else. So let's say I might do an advertisement for someone that's a different skill set than sitting there and just doing an interview with someone. So it's more editing on my end. And it's like, all right, am I just reading something live? Am I improv in it? Am I ad-libbing and so on? And it's just like that enables me to stretch a little bit more to have a different approach to how I'm putting together these podcasts or even some of the guests that I would reach out to. It's like, is this person going to be interesting? This person is a, is a drip. And, <laughs> you know, what's, what's, what am I getting out of this? So, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's uh, I think that's important, like changing directions. I don't, you know, I, it took me a while to realize just how much uh, work gets done in the background of your of your head, you know. And so sometimes you don't feel like you're working on something. Um, you know, you change directions, give give it a month, um, but you're you're still working on that thing yeah. in there somewhere. And so you know, I have so many so many designs that that you know, I, I might only spend, you know, 20 hours of real time working on drafting it or working on uh, designing it, but I've only done it an hour here, an hour there over the whole, I've, I've worked on it for, it takes a year yeah. to get that much time in. And so there's a, just a lot of, um, when you just, re, I have a lot of drawings, I just revisit them once a month or I revisit them every couple of weeks and just do a little bit and then I'm stuck again. <laughs> Um, but every time I let a couple of weeks go by and I go back, I, I can move it forward just a little bit until, you know, everything clicks and I'm like, it's, it's ready. And then I'll, you know, lay it out, design it and then work on building it. What are your hobbies or interests outside of your work? And is there any carryover in terms of methods or ideology? Uh, <laughs> so I have a three-year-old son. And so uh, his hobbies are, are my hobbies <laughs> now. And so, you know, I like dinosaurs and cars and <laughs> rainbows. Uh, but no, more seriously, I, I, I mean, at this point, Mike, you know, I, in, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 41. So I'm sort of in this, uh, the, 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 I don't know what they would describe as the most productive phase of your life or, what, or whatever. And so hobbies, um, they're just, they're not as uh, overt hobbies as they used to be. I think um, they just sort of tend to be these like sort of tangentially interesting things that are around my work. You know, I have, you know, a 3D printer I tinker with sometimes, but that inevitably finds its way into my work. Um, the, the book that you have in, in, behind you is that I sent you is, is you know, a perfect example. I, I did that just sort of as a sort of interest project and, you know, quickly like designing your own book, writing your own book, laying, doing layout and all that stuff. It starts out as an interest and then it just becomes consumed by your vocation. And I think, you know, that's, that's been, that's been the case for a while now. Uh, you know, that just, if it doesn't serve double duty as fun and productive, it, it doesn't always, there's not always time for it. Um, you know, but since we've all been sort of stuck inside for the last year, there's there's been a lot of like home renovation stuff. Uh, we built, you know, me and my wife built uh, some some big 
lovely gardens in the backyard and I put on a deck, that sort of stuff. But that's not really stuff that you would consider <laughs> as a hobby per se. It's just sort of, um, real life though <laughs> yeah you do it i mean you do it for fun but I don't, I don't know i don't know if i would point to like i'm not like a bowler or a, you know something like that I, I have neighbors who rock climb and uh that all looks very fun but uh i just much rather be in my shop is in my house so it's like i'm in my office i'm in the basement and um maybe i'm reading like uh some 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 news in between and sort of like but i'm i'm, I'm always sort of got one hand like working on something. And so I like to, you know, cook and do things like that, but it's just um, half of my brain is always working. So ultimately, or I don't know if ultimately that's a little too forward, but let's say in the next like few years, you know, at once we're out of this uh, hellscape, uh, what, what would you want to accomplish with your work? What do you hope to accomplish with your work? Uh, that's a really hard question I, because it's um, it's all I've it's all I've ever done. It's a process, right? It's like this this journey. So to sort of um, state a destination would be sort of uh, uh, antithetical in in a weird way. So uh, I, you know, I, I've been just sort of um, just very much working. It's it's like a it's a conversation I'm having with with myself. And, um, you know, my, 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 my sort of like trip through like learning how to build things. And so my work has gotten more complicated over the years. I'm, I've certain originally I was just making, you know, aesthetic objects and now I'm making these sort of more involved mechanical objects and sort of, uh, spreading out to, to comment on other, um, craft forms and other, uh, medium, but, um, I don't, I don't know where that's going. I, I don't know. I don't know if it needs to go anywhere really. So I, I don't, I don't know. Accomplish is a tough word. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, I'd like, I mean, I've always wanted to show my work at the visionary art museum, but it's like one of my favorite places, but I, I don't really consider that to be, a, you know, an accomplishment as just sort of a, a thing that I'd like to do. So, uh, I'm going to just leave that there. I don't, I don't know. It's a tough one. I, I think it's like asking a kid what he wants to be when he grows up and, you know, they shouldn't have to answer that question. No, you're right. And, and that is a tough question where, you know, it's like, how, how do we define that? And so on. But I think what I'm kind of grasping from, from what you've been saying the entire time, is like staying interested in, in what you're doing yeah. and, and learning, because that's, that's the thing that you're, you're picking up, so many different skills. I need you to, I need you to figure out a way to machine, <laughs> to do yeah. some machine stuff for my podcast. Like make the microphone just come towards me and I don't have to set up anything. It's just like, Oh, I just sit down in the chair. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Christopher. Appreciate I, you. I, I would, I would do that. Except I've been sort of, I've been working for myself so long that I, if it's impossible for me to like, do anything that it isn't just the thing that I have to be doing okay, right good. now. Okay, you know, yeah. it's that like, uh, you know, it's, I, I get a lot of people asking me to make furniture and I'm just like, there's just nothing in me that wants to make furniture. <laughs> I just want to make the things that are in, in this head and that's it. And, uh, so I don't, <laughs> I, I don't it. begrudge furniture. I don't, I don't begrudge anyone who, who does anything other than it's just, I got to listen to what's in this, this, this head of mine and, 
go with it, but yeah. I dig it. Um, got a couple more questions before we wrap up here. Um, so let's say money and access isn't an issue in this scenario. Um, if you could work with one metal, what would it be and why? And what's that metal that you just, I don't, you don't like working with? Uh, copper is pretty horrendous to work with. Um, oh, it's, it's just really sticky and gummy and gooey and it, it breaks things. And it's, 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 I don't know. It's like trying to cut butter. That's not quite cold enough. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, money and access isn't an issue. Um, it's it, money and access or, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been, I, I guess I don't want to understate how fortunate I feel to sort of been able to cobble together a living off of my art and to build the machine shop that I have. But um, when you sort of look at it in the context of, of what's out there in terms of commercial manufacturing equipment, my, my shop is very, very, very quaint. Um, so I wouldn't say there's a metal uh, that I, I don't, I, metal is, uh, affordable enough that if I want to work with it, I can work with it. Okay. I've, I've actually recently made some pieces out of, um, uh, uh, recovered meteorites and things like that. So like some very exotic stuff. Um, but there's, there are machine tools out there that cost two and a half million dollars, uh, to buy. Wow. And so, <laughs> Um, switch that to that. <laughs> I don't, I don't have access to those tools. I, I don't know. And I'm not entirely sure I'd want to own something like that. Um, I, I think it's, it's important to me. And I think it is, it's necessary. It's a necessary element of, uh, any studio art practice to sort of be able to own the means of production, to be able to own your tools, have them in a safe space and be able to experiment with them, yeah. uh, freely and, and break them and fix them and, uh, do all those things that artists do as they're sort of finding their way. So um, maybe it doesn't make sense to own really expensive high equipment, but I, I, you know, there's a part of me that would love to tinker with some, some really nice uh, tooling and equipment um, that that's, that's just not feasible. Um, but I would say that, you know, the features of the affordable machine tools that I do have sort of outweigh that and in, in, the, in the sense that I can break them and then I can fix them. And I think that's sort of uh, a sort of a, a feature that, that an artist would want in their equipment. So, yeah, I, that's definitely, I mean, there's definitely, you know, I've been to um, in, industrial uh, manufacturing, like trade shows where they have you know, this giant machine that can laser weld a shape out of powdered metal and then bring in a bunch of cutters and then cut it back down and make stuff out of it. And that's all really fascinating uh, techni technically and, you know, from a, a, an artistic standpoint, but having the infrastructure to really employ that myself. Yeah. I mean, there are certain, there are, there are lots of examples of blue chip artists who hire engineering firms to just make all this stuff for them using this state-of-the-art equipment but when i try to talk about my practice i try to talk about it in terms of a, a studio artist who is doing the making and and uh and and in that context it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but no it <laughs> doesn't you. mean that it doesn't mean i can't yeah think about it so so the last question i have um gotta have the baltimore question gotta have questions about baltimore sure uh so um for you what does it mean to be an artist um with ties and connections to baltimore um, what does it mean? Because, uh, you know, and, and that, that comes from the position of Baltimore has 
this reputation. So what, what reputation does it have? A bad one. <laughs> a bad one. I don't think, I don't think it has a bad reputation. Um, that I guess the thing that I think that I think about, um, Baltimore or when I think of LA, like the first thing that comes to mind to me is like pop surrealism. Yeah. Uh, I think it, in New York, it's like this sort of like impenetrable self-referential, uh, 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 so, um, what's the word? Um, conceptualism, right? It's like conceptualism about itself. Yeah. And Baltimore, what do you think of when you think of Baltimore's art scene? It's, I, I think of DIY, I think of- uh, I, Exactly, and I, I, think, I think that's it. I think that's the beauty of Baltimore. Like I'm just a, a guy in Baltimore doing my thing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have to worry if I'm relevant or if I'm in the scene or if I'm, you know, with, with going with, you know, whatever's popular this year. Um, and, and every artist I know in Baltimore is like that. They're just their own, you know, they're just doing their own thing and, and that's cool. And there's no aesthetic, like Baltimore doesn't have like this defined aesthetic. Like you can point to every art school has its own little, you know, cookie cutter aesthetic or thing that they're known for. And, and Baltimore is just like, you just get to be, you just get to be, I just get to be Chris and I get to make, you know, the things that I make here. And I think that's the beauty of, of this town. So um, I guess that's the best answer I could give. That. No, that, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a true, that's a legit answer. So that's all I have. Um, in, in the, you know, this podcast goes, we like to allow people to have their opportunity to plug, plug, plug away. So anything you want to plug social media, any, any, uh, hot takes you want to plug before we get out of here? Mm, um, I, I'm not really that self promoting, uh, you know, Instagram is C under slash bathgate. Um, you can, uh, find, I have an old fashioned website, www.chrisbathgate.com. And, uh, if you're, if you're the type that uh, doesn't like, uh, the idea that, you know, um, your, your only access to an audience is through, uh, one of the big names like Facebook or, or, or Instagram or anything else. I actually have an, an old fashioned newsletter. It's just an email newsletter. Uh, I try to get people to sign up to that in case someone decides that, that they don't, uh, they don't want me to have access to my audience anymore. So uh, go to my website and sign up to the newsletter and, you know, follow along. And I'll, you know, I just do it's like monthly postings about what I'm working on, what I'm thinking and, and what's coming out of the shop. Well, thank you. That, that's great. Uh, so thank you for coming on to the podcast. And uh, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. And um, I'll, I'll just wrap it up. Um, so for Chris Bathgate, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it.